How about this? The gospel reading. We're in the early, still the early part of Luke. And this is what um, Luke does a number of times and Matthew does a bit more, which seems to be, that scholars think, just grab a whole bunch of things that Jesus said and shake them into one uh, dialogue or one conversation or uh, one sermon. Um, and it may be what's happening here. So let's hear it and see what we can make of it. But I say to you that listen, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you, and if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies. Do good. And lend expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great. And you will be children of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For the measure you give will be the measure you get back. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. It's like hearing one side of a phone call, I think, this text. You can sort of have a guess at what the conversation is about, but it's not easy, and you might not be right. My guess, if any of you had a look at this week's The Clayton, um, will see, my guess is that um, there's a conversation going on here, or a debate going on between the principle of reciprocity and the golden rule. The principle of reciprocity comes uh, in, obviously, many cultures, but in Hebrew culture, it's... Uh, codified in the, what we call the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, do to others as they do to you. And it's said in Exodus, the famous words that we hear, very brutal words, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. If they burn down your fields, you burn down their fields, not their house, just their fields. It's got to be 
the principle of reciprocity. It's not bad. It's an attempt to keep the world in balance so that we don't all go crazy and kill each other. <laughs> and what's the chances of that ever happening? Then there's the golden rule. Do to others as you would have them do to you. That's the way Jesus frames it. Of course, it's at the heart of many world faiths. The most ancient version we've got of it is in the negative, and it comes from Egypt, um, 600 years or, or more, five or 600 years before Jesus. That which you hate to be done to you, do not do to another. That which you hate to be done to you, do not do to another. It's the, the negative is about the minimalist version of the golden rule you can imagine. There are lots of things I do not want you to do to me. So if I'm following the golden rule, I'll make sure I don't do them to you. But even the positive version that Jesus gives, and other, others do as well, but Jesus um, quotes here, do to others as you would have them do to you, that can often be, particularly in a culture like ours, where we treasure and give uh, pride of place to the individual as the base unit of society. It can often be a very minimalist version. The, the thing that I want you to do to me is not interrupt me too much, not get in my life too much because I'm a solo person. I live my own life and I don't want to have to be responsible to you or for you. So um, as minimal as possible, polite, limited interaction. We all do it. Facebook has made millions and millions of dollars out of the fact that we would sometimes prefer to have each other at a data distance than we would face to face. Now, I don't want to feel that. I want to feel like, no, that's not true. But if I had shares in Facebook, it would prove to be true. That's some part of the way we want to live, which is weird. Now, Christianity has insisted on a very high view of humanity. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. We are made like God. That's what we hear right in the very first story we ever get in the Hebrew Scriptures. We are the offspring of God. We have God's DNA. That's what we keep insisting. That's what Jesus kept insisting. That's what Paul kept insisting. And if you have someone's DNA, you look a bit like them. You act like them. I do the sorts of things my dad does with my hands, with my head. I just do. Some of that's probably okay. Some of that, oh, I wish I wasn't quite like it, but that's who I am. And I didn't choose to do that. I just am that way. What's the, the idea that you have God's mannerisms? It kind of sounds shocking because we've also, Christianity has done a, f a fair job of making sure God is kept at a distance. The old man in the sky, the stern one who has rules and the rules are the most important thing and you keep them or you don't keep them to your own benefit or your own destruction. But what if we take the other story, that we are close to God. In fact, so close that in the very first story, the whole thing's supposed to be a wonderful garden with us just walking around it in the cool of the evening with God. Why didn't we remember that story? That's amazing. I mean, you know, it's not warm today, but when we have a hot day and it cools down at night and you get to wander the streets and there's all these people wandering in the streets too in their, with their dogs and just chatting... That's, you know, that's the story that it was. It's easy for us to assume that Jesus is working from our narrow kind of mean mindset. But he's working from this other assumption. 
In John's Gospel, he keeps going on and on about life. He's come to bring it in all its abundance. In Luke's Gospel, the one we're dealing with most this year, he begins by saying he's here about freedom for the captives. He's here about sight for those who have no idea what's going on and can't see. Can't see, as my mother used to say when I couldn't find something she sent me to look for, you can't see the hand in front of your face. It's sight for those people. It's about full humanity. That's what Jesus is on about. That's his whole assumption. And that's what's going on in this text. It's not a series of things you should do. And if you don't do them, you're going to be in trouble. It kind of can read like that. But I don't think that's what Jesus is on about at all. He's on about seeing and hearing the way the world truly is. When the angels came to see the shepherds at the beginning of Luke, do not be afraid. There's a lot of that in Luke. Do not be afraid. See, I am bringing good news. See, I am. It's not a turn of phrase, just like filling in. See, I am doing good news. I'm br- I am bringing you good news of great joy to who? Everyone. Later on, John the Baptist is in prison and he doesn't know what's going on and he's in despair and he sends his disciples to Jesus and they say, are you the one or have we completely screwed this up? Are we in despair and lost or is this possible that it's true? And Jesus says, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. Those of you who are listening, it says at the beginning of our text, what you have seen and heard. And all the way through Luke, there's two, at least two times, maybe three, where he says, let anyone with ears hear. Listen. Let anyone with ears listen. Everyone's got ears, but it turns out not everyone's listening. The moment of his arrest, Jesus restores a severed ear to his disciple. What a strange little thing to have in there. Unless the whole book is about seeing and hearing. And he puts the ear back and it sort of somehow miraculously appears on the side of the person's head, the disciple's head. What's that about? Well, you know, it could be about early microsurgery. Yeah, I don't care. I tell you what it is about. It might be about that, but what it is about is about the restoration of our true humanity of really hearing what the world is doing. That's what Mary Oliver's on about in all of her poems, and that one, my favourite particularly, And that's why she's so favoured by so many people who love her work. Because she's reaching for that other way of being in the world, seeing it as it truly is. And then this text, our text begins, but I say to you that listen, I say to you that listen. Not just going to say all these things out and a bunch of commands, but listen. We need to hear and see the world as it truly is. That's the way Jesus is assuming it. That's why it's not necessarily a bunch of commands, but more living in that reality. So he says, love your enemies, because that's the way the world truly is. Well, how do you love your enemies? Well, you do good to those who hate you. Good. Good is at the entire structure of the universe. What does God say at the very beginning? He makes a few things and then he says, or God makes a few things and then says, it is good. Good is at the structure of the universe. Just because we live mean, ordinary, dumb, silly lives some of the time, maybe most of the time, doesn't mean that's the reality of the universe. It just means we're stupid. We're lost. We're hurt. 
That's what it means. Not that that's the structure of the universe. Yes, life might be absolutely terrible now, in this moment, for some of us. And it always is for all of us at some time. But that's not the structure of the world. That's not the DNA of the world. How do you love your enemies? You do good. Goodness is at the heart of the universe. When we see it as it truly is, we're living in its goodness. Well, how do you do good? Well, you do, Jesus says, with the golden rule, you do to others as you would have them do to you. What would you have done to you? I mean, if you were really living full human life that you are being called to, that you sometimes, in your best moments, get a glimpse of who you could really be, what would you have done to you? What would you have done to celebrate and to build up and to support your true, full humanity? Well, this text does give us some clues to that. It would be not allowing the abuse that we sometimes have to suffer and some of us have to suffer continually that is designed to make us less than human, actually let that do its job. In other words, don't let the fact that your government tells you you don't deserve any more new start allowance, what do they call it, job seeker allowance now, than we, that is just below the poverty line. You don't deserve any more than that. And that's true. That's what our government says. And I haven't heard the Labor Party uh, develop a policy on this yet. And I may be, oh God, I hope I'm wrong, that they might actually increase that allowance for the first serious time in, in uh, a quarter of a century. Don't let that be the determination of who you are. Don't let striking the other cheek, sorry, striking the cheek and taking the coat, make it determine who you are as a human being. Stand as a human being even against the dehumanising activity of those around you. And you can read this in the, in the Clayton, I had a bit of a go at this, but it, what Jesus is talking about here are those in power and authority. They're the people who can uh, legitimately strike you on the cheek and take your coat and whatever else they, they want. They can take your goods, but they can't take your humanity. Let me read you this quote. This is the most famous quote from one of the most important books of the 20th century was written by Viktor Frankl. It's called Man's Search for Meaning. Frankl was a, a, a training as a psychologist and psychiatrist uh, before he was arrested. He was a Jew, uh, arrested by the same man as we just talked about in The Mask of Fear, Adolf Hitler and the Nazis, and sent to a concentration camp and actually survived Auschwitz. A rare, a rare thing. And he wrote this extraordinary book when he came out and began to discover what had helped people live and what had helped people dis uh, despair and die. And this is the most famous quote. If you haven't read the book, it is one of the most important books uh, that came out of the war, Man's Search for Meaning. Everything can be taken from a man, a human being, but one thing, the last of the human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. Everything can be taken except this last of human freedoms to choose one's attitude in every given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. That's reaching for it, isn't it? 
What do you want done to you? Well, read the rest of the text. You want appreciation, not condemnation. You want forgiveness and mercy, not judgment. You want generosity, not meanness. That would be the thing that would, these would be the things that would encourage you, that would build you up, that would support you in being the human being you are called to be. And then welcome as children, and then um, Luke uses this very strange phrase, children of the most high. First used about some mystical priest-like figure called Melchizedek, who seemed to have lived forever. It's a myth, more mythical figure than human being. But, but of course, all the mythical people in the Bible, that were, all the angels that are spoken of, they're this deep link between the, the divorced humanity that we so often live and the great humanity into which we are truly called with the DNA of God. That's what is going on. That's what is going on when Luke kind of checks back to this, to those who understand their Hebrew scriptures, and of course many of these people listening would. You'd be children of the Most High. You'd be children of the Most High. Oh, right, yeah, that's back to that. That's back to that deep link, this mythical kind of character who we know nothing much about except he just sort of appears. And yet he seems to be deeply connected to the divine, deeply connected to what it means to be a full, alive human being. So when Jesus says, love your enemies, he's living in the world that he's inviting us into. There's so much more we could say about this, but this 15 minutes, that's way long enough. Let's stop. Amen. Thanks, Yula.